I'm Scott Morey, and we're excited to announce a new podcast series called RE Insights, sponsored by GPG Advisors. Uh, we are honored today, and I'm very humbled also, to have Anant Yardi, who is president and founder of Yardi Systems with us, and clearly today has the preeminent and leading accounting and property management software solutions for the real estate space, both domestically and globally, which we'll talk about in a little bit of detail. And just brief background to frame it is, um, of course, you started the company in your early 80s. If my memory is correct, it was in 1984, which is amazing because there weren't a lot of computers. And I believe you released something on a Mac 2 that was on floppy drives because you had to. And, and you go from 1984 to today where you've got over, I think almost or close to 5,500 employees. You're in 30 offices. You're in a number of continents and countries that, that I can't list because it's too long. You've had exceptional growth, I think, all the way through. If my memory's right, year over year, you've had 15 to 20% growth, other than one year, I believe, which was Y2K, which is understandable. And today, you've got well over 5,000 customers on your Yardi Voyager product, and you're continuing, I believe, to you know, gain and pick up market share across all asset classes and service types within real estate. So thank you again for joining. It's a great honor. And I'd like to start and talk about your background and sort of the event and opportunities that ultimately brought you into this crazy space called real estate. Yeah, so thank you, Scott. And um, it's, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. And let me start by maybe talking about uh, the education, which is and uh, my, my five years at Institute of uh, Technology in India, Delhi, and then after that UC Berkeley. By background, I'm a mechanical engineer, and uh, I started my career in 1969 with uh, Burroughs Computer Systems, and uh, first as a mechanical engineer and in course of time transition to the software group. And uh, Burroughs uh, transferred me to Santa Barbara in 1972. And so I've lived here in Santa Barbara for the last uh, 47 years. And uh, the company, as you pointed out, was started in 1984 when Burroughs decided that they were going to close their facility here in Santa Barbara, and uh, um, and the decision was for me to stay here, and there were not too many jobs, and that's how this company started. So it's rather a modest uh, beginning. So if you go back, if my memory is correct, too, on, on the India Institute of Technology, you were probably one of the earliest graduates, I think, because I believe that school was formed in the mid-'60s. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh, so we were the the third batch, and the Indian Institute of Technologies were started right after independence. And uh, it was a way to find people who had uh, the aptitude and interest in engineering and to educate them. Uh, what they may not have foreseen is so many graduates from IIT might have might end up here in the U.S. Uh, it's amazing. And how did you decide to pick and end up at Berkeley for your master's? It was uh, because a handful of my colleagues were going to UC Berkeley, and so I, I applied there. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, they admitted me, and so that was my uh, 
my sort of starting point in 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 the U.S. And then one one couple more questions on your background. I know you live in Detroit, although I don't know how long. And that's a big change going from New Delhi to California. And of course, you're in one of the most beautiful places in the West Coast, if not in the U.S. To Detroit. Tell me about your experience in Detroit in winters, and and how long were you there for? Yeah. So. Um, uh, the first job, which was Burroughs Computer Systems, uh, their home office was in Detroit, and uh, that's where I moved, and uh, certainly not used to the cold winters there, but that was a learning experience, and uh, I have to confess, I had some good times in Detroit, uh, eating ribs and, and beer and playing bocce ball, so... So that was a fun time, and when Burroughs said that they were opening a plant here in Santa Barbara and uh, asked me if I uh, wanted to transfer uh, one look at Santa Barbara, and I said, yes, this, in fact, is is a great place to live, and uh, that's how I ended up here. Now, I I believe also that, obviously, they closed that plant there, which then led to you questioning kind of what's doing next, and I believe it closed in 1981. And you then started working on this product after that point in time. Of course, you launched in 84. But can you talk about those early years post-Burroughs and the closing of that plant and then sort of the steps and what you went through ultimately to to have your first release? Yes. Uh, So um, when the plant uh, uh, closure was announced, there were four of us that uh, decided we would try our hand at starting a new company. And, um, and the plant actually closed sometime in 82 or 83, so I continued at Burroughs for at least a year, hoping that uh, they would find some reason to, to, to continue the plant. Uh, but um, by that time, we had purchased some property here in Santa Barbara, and this was rental property. And uh, one thing led to another. The three partners disappeared. They said this was not going to amount to anything. And I continued uh, writing these programs in part because of the familiarity and knowledge of rental property. And the first set of programs were uh, on an Apple II. And so that's how the company started. I think the first two or three sales were made in late 1983. And I recently called the three companies that purchased the programs back in 1983-84, and uh, they still continue to use the programs, uh, more recent versions of it. Uh, But it was good to see that uh, they were all still still running their property management businesses. a little bit grayer and wiser, presumably. And uh, one of them said, uh, I've grown old with this program. And I had to ask him, are you telling me that the program made you age or is this just a biological process? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's good to see that uh, it, that things started in, in with rather a small and, and maybe uh, basic set of expectations, and uh, here we are. I would guess at some level they'd have to be jealous of your growth rate over all those years, and, and I'm sure they did fine, but wish they had the same, so it's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's, let's shift gears to, to where you are now and kind of what's happened when you go back from 1984 to now, and what are some of the big defining transitions, you think, in the growth trajectory of, of Yardy? Yeah. 
So in the 80s, um, the first set of programs were on the Apple II. Then we released uh, a property management system on, an, on the IBM PC, followed by Macintoshes. And by the late 80s, and this would be 89, maybe 90, we had some 10,000 companies using our programs. And the pricing model at that point in time was product-based, which is we sold the program for $395, and uh, there was no maintenance fee or there was nothing else, and the program satisfied the, the clients in terms of their basic requirements. We got to a point where I, it was sort of a, an interesting realization that the clients were saying they're satisfied, it does the job. And I was puzzling over at that point in time, we may have had 30 or 40 employees, and I was saying, how do I make my payroll? And uh, so the, as, as this transition was taking place, Windows had just been announced and Windows became available in the early 90s. And so the next set of programs were written on the Windows platform. And at that point in time, we decided, or I decided, that uh, it was impractical to sell software on a, on, on a um, license plus annual maintenance basis, and we switched to what is today called the SaaS model. In the early days, it was quite difficult to accept the marketplace to, or or to get the marketplace to accept this this uh, pricing structure. But in course of time, uh, they seem to get comfortable with it. So that was uh, that was the transition to Windows. By about the mid 90s, Oracle had released their databases, relational databases. In course of time, SQL Server released their database. Uh, or Microsoft released the SQL Server database. And so we transitioned from what used to be just a proprietary database to a relational database. And at that point in time, we were beginning to get a fair amount of interest from larger companies. In 2000, we introduced the first version of the Voyager program and this would be the Voyager 4.5 release, and then the .NET version, followed by a cloud version. We created mobile apps for Voyager. We sort of embellished uh, uh, the different mods from a baseline PM system to job costing, fixed assets, investment management. Um, and, uh, and as we were doing this, in starting in about 2005, uh, we also branched out in sort of adjacent areas where initially, if we may have had programs for the multifamily and the residential marketplace, we now have uh, products for public housing, affordable housing, Section 8 housing, senior housing, military housing, and so a number of different variations. And while this was all going on, we continued to stay abreast of technological changes, um, including the cloud platform, social media, mobility. And it's sort of interesting that what started in 1984 as uh, a small company with, and I think in our first year, we had 200,000 in revenues, 
1987, we had crossed a million, and then we, then we went to 10 million and 100 million, and we are well on our way to a 10-figure number here shortly. Which is amazing. I think it's interesting, too, as you tell the early story of sort of modifying not just your solution but the pricing model about, you know, the driver really was, you know, how do I keep these people busy and employed and, and happy and productive, right? And I, I sort of had this phrase that fear and desperation lead to creativity. But it was a fascinating transition point, and you were, you know, exactly on relative to what was happening with the market. Were there other times like that, you'd say, over years where you sat back and got worried and I need to do something fundamentally as different as that? Or I, I would guess probably since then your growth probably been relatively consistent. Is that a fair comment? Yes. Yeah, so in the early years, uh, the growth was much, much higher than the 15 or 20 percent, but those were small numbers. More recently, it's been in the 15 to 20 percent range. Sometimes it will go north of 20 percent, um, but for the next few years, we see our growth continuing at this pace. Okay. So let me let me move on a little bit different, but a similar theme is looking back at the success over all those years and that growth rate, you know, what are some of the main factors that you would say that help drive that growth? And you've talked about a couple of them, but I think you could, you could probably expand on that. Yeah, so one of the, the key traits and, and maybe one of the driving forces has been, are we delivering value to our clients? And, um, and I like to sometimes... Uh, go back to my early experience where at Burroughs I felt we didn't have access to and we didn't take the time to understand our clients. And so that's a key part of our growth strategy, which is are we talking to our clients? Are we listening to our clients? If we make mistakes, are we prepared to acknowledge those mistakes and set things right? And so customer satisfaction and value to customers is a key driving force. But a second sort of driver is, and fortunately for us over the last 30 or 40 years, there have been such momentous changes in technology. And so the second part of this equation has been, are we tracking everything that's going on in the technology world and are we bringing innovation to this industry. And innovation becomes just so much more difficult as, as a small company, a 50-person company, a 100-person company with a few hundred clients, it's so much simpler to make changes. Now it is quite difficult to orchestrate changes, but even as we speak, we are going through significant changes in terms of business intelligence and the way we are managing that in terms of technology where we will be we are in the process of adopting and transitioning our products to angular js in the way we structure our cloud and uh, uh, the way we provide interactions between the different elements of our uh, product suite so as we as we talk today there is just a tremendous tremendous amount of change that's underway and then let's talk about, um, in line with that change, you know, what you see as the upcoming industry trends and opportunities. And there's, all, there's all these buzzwords, I argue, and the words change over time. So I think about 
cloud, and I could argue cloud was service bureaus when you go way, way back in some capacity. But but talk about the different things you're seeing and at a macro level and, and what that means to, to you. Yeah. So one of the key things that we are seeing, and maybe this, this has taken some time to to understand and uh, and acknowledge. In years past, accounting played such a major role in any decision process, where lease administration, property management, uh, CAM recoveries, uh, retail rents, and percentage rent, all of these uh, sort of unique things that were required by the industry eventually had to fit into an accounting framework. And so accounting and finance, in a sense, were sort of the primary clients. But with with the sort of popularity and pervasiveness of mobile devices, it's becoming apparent that accounting is now transitioning to a reporting and a tabulation system. Mm -hmm. But the transactions in fact, occur outside of the accounting department. That is, when we look at everything that happens in in our customers' uh, shops, accounting is an important facet, but all the transactions are occurring outside of the accounting department. And so we are in the process of creating solutions that capture these transactions as they occur. And they get then recorded in the financial system um, in a manner that is consistent with uh, generally accepted pra- practices. And so it's, it's sort of an interesting realization that if for the last 15 years we've been saying our success is based on who uses our Voyager platform, our success in the future will be based on who does not need to log into the Voyager platform. That is, we see the Voyager platform, the backbone of the system, as being available primarily for configuration and exception handling. But all of the transaction processing, all of the approvals, all of the decision support systems will, in fact, be uh, either tablet-driven or uh, smartphone-initiated. So that's a key transition that's happening as we speak. And having a, a robust cloud is an exceedingly important far, part of this transition. And certainly in the enablement of it and, and the sharing of the information. And it seems like, and I'd like to get your thoughts, that you know, the historical view of systems was very, not just accounting-based, but employee-based. And, and in line with your comments now, when you look at the different parties effectively that we as real estate companies work with, whether that's the tenants or it's the people in the space or it's consumers or it's our business partners or suppliers, suddenly you know, the audience is expanded and the use is expanding, which I think kind of reinforces your, your point. Do you, do you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And there's a transition underway the way we see it where 10, 15 years ago, there may have been a sizable IT organization 
in each company, and they were focused on maintaining their hardware. They were focused on creating interfaces. They were focused on uh, customizations. Today, it feels as though IT and, uh, and, and sort of business processes and knowledge of business processes are, are much, much closer together where the IT folks are almost morphing into uh, strategic uh, thinkers in terms of how should the business continue. That is, IT in a sense has access to data, which is so critical to, uh, to strategic thinking. And so we are curious to see how this plays out. And there's also more of an acceptance of uh, products uh, that may be off the shelf. And so these are transitions that we are seeing in the marketplace and, and watching them with a great deal of interest. Yeah, I think there's the phrase too of going from you know, data or information gatherers to brokers, which, which I actually think makes sense and is reinforcing that point. And, and the other part that's fascinating for me in this space is you're seeing now CIOs sort of you know, expand their competencies and then expanding their roles, right? So, or even changing roles where their strategy. So I think of Steve Maceros at Liberty, I think that drives strategy for them. Or I think of Scott, Scott uh, Wesson at UDR, who's got marketing and other stuff. And so it's interesting, it's becoming so ingrained and, and, and valued and the individuals being valued that for the first time I think ever, we're seeing people find themselves in, in unique roles, which is exciting. That's great. Great to hear. So let me, let me change gears a little bit and um, ask for advice. And I thought it'd be interesting to say, if, you know, for people that are earlier in their careers, what advice would you give them? What advice did you wish you, you know, today you could give yourself back in the, in the mid-80s? Yeah, so in, in the 80s, and, and I think this is a matter of uh, sort of perspective, and, and for me, at least, I was too focused on the things that I was asked to do and the things I was responsible for. In hindsight, I would say it's, it's important to complete everything that's been assigned to you, but it's just as important to get perspective in terms of the, the industry, the enterprise, and the direction, the, the, the strategic direction. So I would be urging people who are sort of joining this industry to, to, to become experts at what they have been tasked to do, but make the time to understand the broader perspective in terms of the industry, uh, the direction, the trends, and how they can add value. The other thing that, that I suggest to our new employees is so often we are wrapped up in things that pertain to us and we are more engrossed in our own things. It's so much better if you look at things from the other person's point of view uh, where you're trying to understand where the other parties are coming from and how you can provide value to them in a, in a business sense. So these are things that I'd like to counsel the, the young folks on. Another uh, area might be 
try things, and if if you fail, don't be too upset about it. And as they say, when one door closes, the uh, there's probably another door that's opening and stay focused on what's right and uh, and continue to learn and continue to try new things. Let's, let's keep going down this theme a little bit. It, it kind of relate, does relate actually in many ways to, I know your values, but your, your Yardi's values as a company, which I know you share and, and discuss and are integral. And what I wanted to recognize, and I think it's a huge deal actually, that Yardi is an organization you specifically actually are rated number 32 on Glassdoor's highest rated CEO list, which I don't know if people recognize how amazing that is actually. And I say that in all honesty because you look at companies where people think about and read about the culture, like Nike or Deloitte or Slalom or LinkedIn, and all those people were ranked below you, which at some level has to feel pretty good. But it's an amazing honor, so congratulations. I know it just came out. but. I'd like you to share sort of the characteristics and traits and habits that leaders should possess, which I think relate to your values as a person, but also your company values. But can you expand on that? Yeah, and and before I touch on that, first let me say it just caught me by surprise. It was a telephone call out of the blue. And then as I thought about it, the thing that was a little bit troublesome to me was the fact that the company wasn't rated as high as me. And I was saying, how could the CEO get a higher rating than the company? And what do I have to do to make sure that people are happy uh, working here in this company? And and that should be my focus. Uh, The fact that there is a CEO rating may be incidental and and secondary to ensuring that... uh, uh, that folks who are here at TRD Systems feel that we have provided a good environment for them where they can be happy, challenged, engaged, and productive. So that was my first thought, and uh, I'm still puzzling over it in terms of what do I have to do uh, to make sure that uh, our employees are properly taken care of. Having said that, what might be some of my uh, oh, why might I have been rated? First, I would say respect, respect for everybody. Um, it's a key uh, quality that we emphasize, particularly on the management side. And openness, which is listen and be sure that you understand what people are asking about and to the extent possible, try and accommodate what they are looking for to the extent possible. The third would be it's a fun company. We all enjoy working here, and uh, and lately my my worry has been that it's impossible to know everybody in this company or know everything that goes on in the company, and how can we preserve the culture uh, that has allowed us to succeed and, and really uh, feel good about what we have done. And I think the thinking is now that we have to look upon the company as a multitude of small groups, each one of them with a degree of autonomy where they can uh, promote the culture and and know everybody and feel good about it. And I have to believe at some level, you're the first company I've seen not just talk about fun, but, but he actually listed as a value. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So. so there was a survey that we did, internal company survey, and, and I have to confess I had misgivings about the survey. And the reason I had misgivings about the survey was because I said, we can survey our employees, but what if they ask us to do things that we can't do? Anyways, um, I guess the young folks were so, so sure in their minds that we needed to do a survey. We did the survey. And one of the questions was, name the, the words that, that come to mind when you think about this company. And the three most popular words by a wide margin were fun, family, and friendly which caught me by surprise. And then my reaction was, well, this is good to know that everybody thinks about ERD systems as a fun, friendly, and family-oriented company. But is, are we, are we, is everybody doing enough work that they need to so we can take care of our clients? So my worries then transition to are we doing enough for our clients? Anyway, but it's always one of those battles, which is if you succeed on one side, uh, then maybe one worries that there's something that we are not focused on and that we should be focused on. Well, I think clearly kind of what's going on with your trajectory, um, you guys are hitting on all cylinders. So let me, let me sh shift, and I just have a few more questions before we finish up. But another value, which we haven't talked about, but it's relevant, and I have heard stories outside about this, about your organization and you as an individual as community service. And... What I have heard, actually, is that every year you're, you're putting seven figures out in charities every year. Um, and obviously an important component, not just giving that, but I think also having your employees contribute in activities as well. But can you talk about the different charitable activities and, and efforts that, uh, that happen within the Yardie? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so our, our charitable activities started many, many years ago. And... And in the early years, we were funding nonprofits, and uh, and and there might be examples. Might be uh, here in Santa Barbara, the Transition House uh, that provides a place, uh, a safe place for families that uh, may be moving out of their homes. Um, uh, the Boys and Girls uh, Youth Groups. And in course of time, as the company grew, we decided we would create a budget for each one of the locations so they could promote nonprofits and, and help nonprofits. Um, and so that was our first activity. The second was a desire to help with, with climate change and protecting the environment and the realization that... Um, uh, that so much energy is consumed in buildings. And so we have been funding a number of uh, trade organizations, and the funding is made available for, uh, for the sole purpose of educating their members, um, uh, uh, promoting energy conservation, and acknowledging uh, successes in that area. And so BOMA would be an example of a group, and they have an award that they give out uh, each year. Uh, so that was our second effort. The third was um, in slums in Pune, India, and uh, there our focus is sanitation, uh, health care, education for women, and vocational guidance for youth. 
And the most recent activity is uh, where we are helping out and hoping to help out um, people living in inner city projects, and these would be young kids with their education program. And uh, for each one of them, we have set aside a seven-figure amount. And uh, it's just great for me to to be able to see all of our employees participate in it, the level of interest that's being uh, that's being uh, sort of uh, focused on all of these activities and uh, and maybe some of the results. So it it feels really good that we are able to do this. No, I think that's I think that's fantastic. Um, so I, I have to say, you must be one of the most humble people I know, and I know you've heard that before. And uh, I think it's amazing what you've done, you know, going back to the 80s and, and the ways you've navigated it, the organization you've led, and, and certainly what you've done today. So I I applaud you for that. And, and with that, this is, um, we're out of time, and I, I want to thank you for your time, and I want to thank GPG Advisors for sponsoring this. And I can't thank you enough again, Yardi, for this, and I wish you the best of uh, success. Well, thank you, Scott, and it's been a pleasure. Thanks.